We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. I am going to go back today for another installment of my intention to eventually have preached all 150 of the Psalms from the Bible. I am up to now Psalm 87. Uh, so I'm getting there, and there's a few ahead of this and the bigger numbers that I've already preached on on different occasions. Psalm 90, Psalm 116, Psalm 136, a few. So perhaps I'm, I'm a little further than, than it might seem. Uh, this is a psalm of the sons of Korah, and I have done this before, but I want to do it again because it's been a while, and we may forget such details. To understand, we have to back up to the days of Leviticus, when the tabernacle was designed and built, and responsibility for it was assigned to the tribe of the Levites, And within the tribe of the Levites, there were clans to whom particular responsibilities were assigned. The sons of Aaron, of course, became priests and his descendants after him to serve and to execute the ceremonies in the tabernacle, later in the temple. But there were other responsibilities. There was a man named Gershon, who was a Levite. And he and his descendants were given responsibility for all the cloth and rope, the stuff that could be folded and coiled when the tabernacle was taken down or set back up or transported from where it had been to another place where it was going to be set up until it became a permanent fixture at Shiloh. But even there, the descendants of Gershom continued to manage the fabric and rope parts to repair, to replace, to take care of. There was another Levite named Merari. Say that ten times fast. Merari. Merari and his descendants were given care over the wooden frame, the superstructure of the tabernacle. And the same thing, they set it up, they took it down, they transported it, they repaired it, they replaced anything that was broken. And there was another Levite named Kohath. And Kohath and his descendants were responsible for the articles in the sanctuary, in the holy place, in the holy of holies, the altar of sacrifice, the ark of the covenant, the brass sea, and a big collection of pots and pans and little shovels and incense thingy-wops and all of those things. Kohath and his descendants cared for and moved. A grandson of Kohath went by the name of Korah. And this Korah goes down as one of the infamous rather than one of the famous people of the Bible. Korah led a grumbling rebellion against the authority of Moses. Korah said, we had it so much better in Egypt where we ate fish and onions by the Nile. That doesn't sound so great to me, but that's what he said. 
and been dragged out here into the middle of the wilderness. I'm sick and tired of manna. I've got sand in my shoes all the time. I hate this life. And it got so bad that Korah was making this recommendation to anyone who would listen. How about we kill Moses? And while we're killing Moses, let's kill his brother Aaron too. And his uppity sister Miriam. Let's just kill the lot of them and turn around and go back to Egypt. And God punished Korah severely. We are told that he caused the ground to open up and to swallow Korah and his fellows in the grumbling rebellion. But his sons were spared. Apparently they were not part of their father's misdeeds. And so the sons of Korah lived and served despite the black mark that their father had placed on the family. And theirs became a multi-generational struggle to redeem a legacy, to reclaim holiness for a family to whom it had been temporarily lost. A descendant of Korah, with whom you are familiar, would be Samuel, judge, prophet, appointer of kings. Others who came from the line of Korah would be among those who went into the wilderness with David and were faithful to him all the years of his wandering and remained in his service when he became king and were counted among his most loyal and effective troops. And some descendants of Korah just continued to serve with the tabernacle and their ministry expanded also to be doorkeepers, gatekeepers at the tabernacle. And then the day came when David was finally king over a consolidated, unified nation of Israel. And David, who was himself a musician and songwriter, thought that there needed to be an organized and official worship program for his nation, a team whose job it was to write songs, collect and compile songs, standardize songs, and lead the Israelites in the singing of those songs when they came together for the occasions of corporate worship. And what he did was he picked a man from each of those traditional ancestries of the Levites. He picked a man named Asaph, who was a descendant of Gershon, whose responsibility had originally been to tend the cloth and the ropes. And he picked a man named Ethan, who was a descendant of Merari, whose job it had been to tend the wooden frame. And he picked a man named Heman, who was a descendant of Kohath, whose job it had been to take care of the articles in the sanctuary. And eventually that branch of the team, Heman and his descendants, called themselves 
the sons of, it's so interesting, not Kohath, not their famous well-behaved original ancestor. They called themselves the sons of Korah, the dark spot on their family, their misbehaving ancestor who had been swallowed up by the earth in God's wrath. They called themselves by his name, the sons of Korah, because they continued that ancestral goal to redeem their legacy. I don't know how many songs they wrote. I can only tell you that 11 of them have been preserved within the book of Psalms. 11 compositions by the sons of Korah. In case you wonder what you would miss if they had not done this work, I will quote you just a couple. Here's here's one from them. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee, O God. Those words in the psalm in which they appear are from the sons of Korah. Or this one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Those words in the psalm in which they appear are a composition penned by the sons of Korah. And and this one, today, the 87th psalm. God loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. God loves the land of Israel more than he loves any other place in which his chosen people have come to live. And by this time, they had come to live just about everywhere. They were in Egypt, and they were in Syria, and they were in Babylon, and they were in Persia, and they were scattered across the face of Asia Minor, and they were in Greece, across into Europe. They were scattered over the entire world that they knew. But the psalmist says, God loves Israel, the land, the place, more than any other place that his chosen people dwell. That seems like an odd thing to write a song about. This real estate preference that God has. Well, and then addressing it, we could turn our attention to the question, is Israel still God's chosen people? Before we fool with this psalm, has that changed enough to make it irrelevant? Are, are the Israelites... Still, his chosen people, that's a big controversy. There are lots of opinions. I know what I think, and if you're interested in discussing that larger question, you come and see me, and we'll talk about the status of the Jews and God's plan today. But for this message, let me just try to say some things that are true, no matter what you think about the Jews and their current status in God's larger plan. Now, let me start with this. I am from Eminence, Indiana. That is my hometown. I will tell you some things you almost certainly do not know. Town of Eminence, if town it may be called, was founded in 1855 
by a man named William Weigel. W-I-G-A-L, if you want to check it out. His notion was this. The state of Indiana was surveying possible routes for an expansion of State Route 67 to turn it into a four-lane highway that would join Indianapolis right there in the middle of the state with Vincennes over on the southwest border. Superhighway to join these two prominent locations. It is very much like the US-30 project here with the exception that Indiana actually completed it. So... Take that for what it's worth. One of the routes would have run right through what was to become eminence, which was Weigel's interest in the town. He thought if the big highway runs through here, this will become a happening place, great place for a town. And it got the name eminence because if you traveled that route, that place was the highest elevation by a factor of several miles, so Weigel's dreams were not to be. Uh, if, if, if it interests you, eminence didn't used to be included in the census. It was one of those little Passover places that just got estimated from the census taken in larger, more important communities round about. But eminence is included in the census the last several times. And here is the most recent information. Within the village itself, there are 41 people in 17 households. And their average age is 58.7. I looked to find out who is the most famous person from Eminence, Indiana. I looked on several lists to find out who was the most famous person from Eminence, Indiana. As it turns out, it's not hard to choose because there's only one. (laughs) Glenn Curtis. Glenn Curtis. Right, Glenn Curtis? He led four high school teams to an Indiana State Championship in basketball. Of course, by that time, he had moved away from eminence. (laughs) And the teams that he led were in Martinsville and Lebanon. But he was from eminence. Well, I will add this. In one of his teams, he was the high school coach of John Wooden. Mark, Bill, yeah, Josh, 10 NCAA championships in 12 years with the UCLA Bruins. John Wooden, Glenn Curtis, was his high school coach. Glenn also had a short stint coaching basketball at Indiana University before the Bobby Knight days. There you go. The only notable person, according to the internet, ever to come from eminence, Indiana. Well, there may not be. I, you know, I, I should, if I had thought more, I would have rescheduled and done this sermon next week when, Lord willing, my three sisters are going to be here. But now you can impress them. 
You're from the town that William Weigel built in 18... They won't know what you're talking, but you, you, you can give it a shot when they're here. Ask them about Glenn. <laughs> okay, there may not be many famous people from Eminence, Indiana, but I have known many good ones, and I am not ashamed of my hometown. It's just that it's a little teeny out-of-the-way Place. Adams Township, of which Eminence is the township seat, covers 33 square miles. And there are not a thousand people for each of those square miles. So there's some room to be had there. It's just a tiny, little, out-of-the-way place. But then I'm going to tell you, in the, in the scheme of things, with nations and countries, Zion is a little tiny, out of the way place, about 8,000 square miles, you could fit it in the state of Ohio five times and still have some room left to expand. Biggest river in Israel is the Jordan, and it is in length and capacity just about equivalent to the Tuscaroras. The Tusk may be slightly larger. The largest lake in which anything lives, because the Dead Sea is dead, the largest lake in which anything lives is the Sea of Galilee, which covers about 41,000 acres. Just so you know, Berlin Lake is bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Little, little tiny place, so far as it goes. But there is something special about Israel. To begin with, there is something special about it just geographically. The country of Israel, the the land itself, is the land bridge between Africa, Asia, and with a little left turn, Europe. If you lived in Africa and you wanted to load a bunch of ivory on a pack of camels and take them up to Europe to sell for a profit, you had to go through Israel. And if you were a budding empire in Europe who needed to conduct whatever kind of campaign in Africa, you had to march your armies through Israel. Impassable desert to the east, water to the west. And if you cared to go by sea, all the best ports on the eastern end of the Mediterranean are in the country of Israel. It was, by location, the center of trade and activity. This is why God put his chosen people there. This is how Solomon got so rich. Just a little fee for every group and caravan that passes through. This is why every other people wanted to own that tiny little place where the Jews lived. It's why Abraham had to leave his comfortable surroundings in Mesopotamia and relocate in Zion. It's why Joshua had to go to such extreme lengths to establish children of God 
in that particular place. It's why David had to build his throne and dynasty in Israel. These are the notables. And everybody has heard of them. Alexander the Great, of whom you may also have heard, set out to conquer that entire part of the world, but he had a strange vision which persuaded him that he ought to pass through Israel in peace, even though he was conquering everything else as he went through notables. God says in the psalm, just in case you think I've forgotten, Psalm 87, God says, Rahab, that is Egypt, knows me and knows what I've done in Israel. I reckon so if you think about the work that God did in Egypt. Babylon, Babylon knows me from the prophet Daniel onward. Babylon certainly did. Tyre, Philistia, Ethiopia. When I act, these places pay attention. No truer words ever spoken. And someone may say, I'm from here, or I'm from there, and think that it means something. But let me tell you, there is only the one place that has ever been so established and will be even more established by God, and that is Zion, Israel. And before God is done, everybody would wish they could say, I'm from there. My citizenship is in Zion. And of all the notables that have ever lived in or passed through that land, most notable is Jesus, who, barring a stint in Egypt when he and his family fled the wrath of Herod, barring that little sojourn, never left the land of Israel in the years that he walked on earth. Born there. Ministered there. Died there. And as per Andrew's communion meditation, rose there. And he changed everything. Everywhere by what he did in that little out-of-the-way place. God favors the gates of Zion because he made it the center of his vast historical plan and the fountain from which the gospel bubbles up and expands to All the earth, all my fountains are in thee, the psalm says. And I'm going to tell you this, and I believe this 100%, and somebody may argue with me, and you're welcome to argue with me, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. Everything that is important in the founding character of America, everything that determines what is true and noble and good in America, everything that is best for the destiny of America happened in Israel long time since. And the further we depart from that fountain of blessing, the worse for us. And this is true for all 
lands. What God did there changes everything, everywhere. And the fountain of blessing that bubbles up there flows and spreads the blessing over the entire world. Now I will allow this much. I believe that this whole world is going to become ash and vapor on the great day. And when it does, the land of Israel will become ash and vapor as well. But in the meantime, it is the center of God's work and we should not forget it. And I also believe this in the world to come when it is established, the center of all power, glory, and government there will be the new Jerusalem. And this will not change. God loves the gates of Zion. Wherever you are from, and probably almost everyone is as fond of their hometown as I am of Eminence, Indiana. Wherever you are from, Let me tell you that we should all desire with all our hearts that our citizenship will be there in the new Jerusalem. And if you are not yet pilgrims, aliens, strangers, passing through a foreign country on your way home, You need to be. I know that I continue to say my hometown is Eminence, Indiana, but I'm going to tell you my real home. That place which I am headed. That place in which I want it to be known. My citizenship is there. Is in the new Jerusalem in the world to come. If you'd like to make that your home, the real home to which you are headed, we'll extend you the opportunity today. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.